Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. Hello, guys. Welcome to our show. Today we discuss about sales, how you can increase your sales to get much higher results. We touch many topics, including monetization, many different methods. Uh, and I'm so excited to discuss this topic with JJ Epstein. How are you? Good. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm doing great. Doing great. Friday. We chatted a little bit, so on this day. Uh, by the way, you know, it's interesting that I found online study. If you want to increase sales, you can ask your customers on Friday. You know, because on Friday, we have this positive uh, feeling because of the weekend. It's closed. And why not? You can ask customers, okay, I have better proposition. I want to uh, give uh, more benefits. Just take this product. And yeah, you can get more results. Before we start, just remind our listeners about yourself, background, experience, and why you decided to share with us about the topic sales. Yeah, so I've been working in sales now for almost 15 years, which um, is amazing to think that fly, that time flies by so quickly. I've worked both the media as well as the SaaS side. I've sold into brands, agencies of all shapes and sizes, from like your small mom and pop shops all the way up to Fortune 500s. Um, so over the years, I've developed kind of my own methodology and I've also learned a lot about not only what works, but what also more importantly, like what doesn't work as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But by, by the way, uh, I have a lot of things that don't work for me because, you know, uh, for example, when I decided to grow my uh, LinkedIn channel, uh, mm -hmm. to grow my network, uh, I tried to use best practices. I found them online, you know, uh, typed on Google, best practices on LinkedIn. And when I tried many of them, uh, I failed to get any results because, uh, you know, when you use best practices, uh, that means someone... Uh, has good experience with that uh, mm -hmm. and uh, it's their strong side for example if someone gets high results with filming and you are not good with filming why you need to do it find another type like writing many others so for me failing only brings new experience and nothing else so it's better to learn you know uh, from failure and go ahead okay uh, let's start from the basic can you tell uh, for example if a website has sales but they want to increase what to do, where to start the research, what's going on, how to increase, uh, anything about that. Just for, for example, if we have some products, we can sell them, but of course we want to increase sales. Yeah. I mean, it really depends on what you're trying to sell and who you're trying to sell to. So you really want to take a step back, understand who your core consumers are. And even if you're on the uh, B2C side or B2B side, it's, you know, it's a different sell, obviously. And then like, really, what's that value prop you're trying to sell into them? Like, you know, why does it matter to them? How is this going to improve their life? How is this going to improve their service? Or if you're on the B2B side, like, quite honestly, like, how is this going to make them money? And then like, once you kind of understand like what's motivated in your client, you really want to think about like, what's the pain you're looking to solve here as well. Like any great product, any great service, when you really break it down, it's solving a need, it's solving a pain. And that's really where you start. Um, on the website side, you know, you want to make things engaging. You want to make them interactive. There's certain like marketing colors too that you can use, like from anything from like red, usually is something great to sell. Green kind of puts people at ease. So you also really want to think about like how you're positioning the product too. 
Um, and then, you know, simple is always better cutting down on another, you know, on the steps that you need to in order to sell something. So, um, you know, you always see a lot of e-com SaaS plays and usually what they're always trying to accomplish is like, how do we eliminate the steps to get somebody to add something into a shopping cart or to, you know, click on a product they want to buy all the way up to a sell. So really trying to eliminate the steps that your customer needs to take in order to make a sell, especially when you're online. Like that's really important when you're trying to sell stuff. So again, take a step back, think about your core client. What's that product? What's that service? What are you trying to solve for them? What's that pain point they might have? And then make it as easy as possible for them. Yeah, awesome, awesome. You know, I see on your background this whiteboard. Uh, yeah. You know, can you tell how it can help you? Because, you know, I, I usually uh, note on my laptop, you know, I have some special notes. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I like it, you know, when you think something on the wall, you can see and mm -hmm. you can analyze it. Tell how it can help you. Yep. So, you know, as, as the saying goes, a picture says a thousand words. And for me, it's really helpful to visualize things. So, you know, I've started up kind of like my own little side business called Advising with a partner of mine. And what we've really been whiteboarding out is like our methodology. Both of us have a background in media. I'm on the sales side. He's more on the operations and technical side. And there's just a better methodology we've come up with where, you know, we've thought beyond like those audience buckets that people tend to put people in and really think about like how macroeconomics and like how life in general is impacting audiences and like how it impacts different layers that people have to them. Like you could try to bucket somebody neatly into say, hey, age 18 to 35, household income, $100,000 plus, has these likes, interests, what have you. But people change over time, they evolve over time. And usually that's because of what's happening on the outside in their environment. So, you know, Really what's behind us is like the methodology we've developed and like not only how to, you know, think beyond traditional targeting, but also like what are those emerging media channels that, you know, marketers should be thinking about that aren't, they aren't really taking advantage of to like their full effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, valuable. Interesting. Uh, you mentioned about pain points. Can you tell how to research customers to find their pain points because you know i see when mm -hmm. companies use generic methods they check out the average data from online studies tools but each case is different customers are different we have different unique selling proposition even mm -hmm. two companies that let's imagine they sell uh iphones yeah they sell yeah. iphones and uh, but they have different unique selling proposition because of delivery or i don't know uh some companies can help to set up uh, apps anything so can you tell how to learn customers and get uh, and know their pain points I mean, that really comes to a diagnosis. So like for any good seller, especially on the B2B side, like when you're in a client call, I always like to tell people you should be listening 80% of the time and only talking 20% of the time. And that 20%, you really want to be asking like good diagnostic questions, trying to get down to the core of like why they're even having this call with you. More often than not, people don't want to even take 15 minutes out of their day if everything's going well for them. So there's got to be some type of pain point, some type of problem they have that, you know, you need to solve. So when you're on a call with a client, always great to be asking diagnostic questions like, hey, how to go with your last vendor? Um, you know, can you tell me, you know, situation you've been in? Um, you know, what are you currently trying to sell? What are you hearing in the market? Like these are just, you know, questions I'm just kind of spitballing off the top of my head. But also what really helps too is to have like an understanding going in. I call kind of doing a scouting report for all those sports fans out there about like understanding who your core client is, who they're trying to sell into, what makes their customers tick. 
Um, what have they done in the past? If they're a publicly traded company, there's usually a quarterly earnings report out there that you can always use as kind of your playbook to really understand them. And then like understanding that the vertical or the industry, you know, they're in like what's happening in that industry. You know, what are some of the cycles we've seen? Has there been growth in that industry? Are we starting to see a decline growth from like some of the standard bearers in that space? Why is that? Is it because customers are starting to spend less? Are they feeling more pain? Or if you know things are going well, you know, has there been a new product, new service? Like, is something trending? Like, what you're really trying to like get to the heart of is you know what's making not only their business tick but their clients' business tick or their customers tick, and like what are those outside factors that are impacting that as well? And that really starts with asking like a lot of great questions in the beginning to your client, and then yeah. to your point earlier in the conversation too, like creating a feedback loop like the best way to understand your client is to like listen to their feedback because often more often than not they'll tell you exactly like how to sell to them mm -hmm. nice nice okay uh let's imagine for example i talk to my customers and ask about their pain points and mm -hmm. um, they reply to me uh, they wanna get quick results in seo i know it's almost impossible yeah anything is possible but in seo we have competitors uh, it takes time to create high quality content it takes time to promote and uh, we rely on google algorithms because google can change something so um, it takes time and the most pain points i see customers complain that they need invest like six months, uh, 12 months to get first results. It's a lot. And sometimes you can't get results because uh, of your competition. You need to research more to mm -hmm. find another way. Uh, so if I can't decide pain points, what will you uh, advise? What to do then? Because, you know, uh, of course, each case is different. We are looking for ways how to increase mm -hmm. results. But uh, in SEO and many other niches as well, it doesn't matter. For example, if someone want to, uh, let's imagine, learn a foreign language. It takes time, you know, to learn yeah. language. You can type on Google and many websites can promise you can speak fluently in French for uh, for a month, uh, yeah, guys, I don't know how to speak <laughs> French fluently for a month, or you can lose weight uh, uh, to uh, 10 kilograms for uh, two weeks, you know, yeah, it's tricky because it's uh, really, really hard tell uh, what do you think, how to uh, explain customers that, uh, okay, we have the spend points, we can't decide them because of some limited possibilities, yep. but uh, anyway, we want to help you. We want to improve uh, customer experience. Your advice about that? Yeah. So, I mean, that really comes with also setting expectations too. And I think, you know, sometimes people trip up when they don't properly set those expectations with clients. Um, you know, clients have a funny way of remembering everything that you say to them and they will hold you to account. So, and, you know, something I always like to talk about, and I'll, I'm sure we'll probably get into this a little later, is like always explaining the why and the because to them. We're doing this, why? And it's because it's, we're going to see this. So, you know, especially in terms of, you know, when you're talking about online marketing and setting like an expectation, like, hey, look, you're not going to see like, you know, 50% growth overnight. That's just absolutely impossible. You want to like set like a realistic timeline that you could control that you feel that you're keeping comfortably achieve like it's really about like setting realistic goals and benchmarks and then explaining the why and because to your clients
Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, uh, you know, uh, I usually get high results with customers who understand what we are doing. And, uh, for example, if customers understand SEO, so you can get much higher results. If they don't, it's the same like, you know, uh, when uh, someone want to lose weight, uh, find the best coach. But, you know, the best coach can't uh, eat healthy food instead of you. They can't uh, work hard, train hard instead of you. Of course, you need to do this uh, hard work as well. So to get results. Yeah. Yeah. And in initial marketing, usually we like to give like, I like to give like a time horizon of about, you know, anywhere between two to three months. And that's because like you're trying to properly split tests. Like, different audiences, different messages, different creative. And that takes time. Like it really does take time for it to grow and to see like what's really working, what's not working. And like when we see something working, then like how do we build on top of that? Like how do we build upon that message? How do we build upon that audience? Like what are the common denominators between these audiences that we see that are working well that then we can build upon? And like that's really when you want to explain to your client like, hey, it's going to take this amount of time. But like it's not just because it's because like there's a method to our madness here. And like we just need a little patience. And that's why it's really important when you're talking to them like you want to set those expectations beforehand because again like they are going to hold you to account for whatever you tell them yeah yeah awesome uh let's talk about personalization no mm -hmm. uh i get every single day a lot of spam messages templates you know people are trying to sell me something that i don't need uh, mm -hmm. they don't ask me they don't learn what uh, i really need they just sell me these templates and my spam inbox lasts all these messages i collect them you know in one place uh, so uh, can you tell how to personalize experience and why people are sending these templates that means yep. uh, i think it works i think it works but uh, you can't uh, you know like catch big fish you can catch small fish uh someone who is, is not familiar with that uh yeah, and yeah just tell more about personalization and why we still get these messages uh online so a great tactic i like to use and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about is like research like always want to go into a, you know a prospect's website first like check out if they have any blogs any white papers any work that they've done and sometimes you're not really trying to go in for the hard sell. In fact, you don't really always want to go in for the hard sell after you've done that intro email. Um, ask them a question. People love to talk about themselves, as I'm sure you can tell now on our podcast. So, like, it's always great to, like, you know, ask a question like, hey, you know, I read this blog post that you put, you know, or this article that you wrote that might have wound up in, like, one of the trade publications. Or, like, hey, I saw this white paper that you published or something like that. And, like, don't even go in for the sell. Ask them a question. Hey, I'd love to talk to you about, love to talk to you for like 10, 15 minutes about this work. Do you have some time? And more often than not, people actually respond to that because they want to talk about themselves. And then like, because when you're reaching out, especially initially on a cold outreach, the whole goal is to initiate a conversation. Like you're not going to sell a product on that first call, that first outreach. Like you got to understand what your goal is. And that is like to start a conversation and then continue get the conversation going, continue the conversation. So you can ultimately direct it to where you want to go, which is eventually closing a deal. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Uh, let's talk about uh, creating the right call to action. For example, I have a page. I want to monetize. I want to get results, but uh, I, you know, uh, I had a few times experience when we change a little bit text, 
change a little bit message and we got much higher results. Can you tell how to uh, find the right way to increase conversion rate uh, on a landing page? I mean, that really comes down to like exactly like how are you building those funnels? Um, I mean, you can take the direct approach, you know, which is sometimes people, which isn't necessarily the most honest practice, which is ad arbitrage. And that's what might be direct, which is like trying to get, you know, find traffic anyway, whether it's email, buying that traffic, and then seeing what you can convert. But me personally, I'm more pro. I like the organic approach when you're trying to like get higher landing page conversions, higher landing page views and monthly users, which is like, you know, finding ways you can post on LinkedIn, posting to the right LinkedIn groups, responding on Twitter to like people with large followings, Facebook, like, you know, all like those tried and true meshes, methods of like organic growth, obviously podcasting as well. Um, so, I mean, when I'm trying, when you're trying to generate more traffic, trying to generate conversions, that's what you're, you know, that's how you can, you can generate eyeballs. And then like it really on your landing page, if you're trying to like actually, you know, if you want conversions, it comes down to your offer and how easy you're making it for people to see that value prop that in your offer, how easy it is to like navigate to your website and get to that click the buy now button. And then, you know, how easy it is for them to like do the proper research. I also find that um, customer reviews, especially with the younger generation that's coming up, Gen Z in particular, like they want authenticity. So if you're really trying to sell a product online, probably the best advertising, the best marketing you're going to get is from peer reviews. Mm -hmm. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Uh, let's talk about your company. Uh, mm -hmm. You founder of uh, Edvism. Uh, yeah. Tell what kind of unique selling proposition you have compared to many other companies on this mm -hmm. field. Uh, I'm pretty sure that you have a bunch of competitors, but uh, let's talk about your advantages. Why you are better than your competitors, and uh, who is your uh, buying persona? Who is the perfect customer for you? So, yeah, so for us, um, my partner and I, we both worked in the media space for over 10 years each. Um, we've just found that there was a better way to, you know, actually execute and plan digital media, you know, media buying and planning campaigns. Um, so, like I was mentioning before, you know, a lot, of, we sometimes see there's like a lot of cookie cutter, copy and paste media plans. And we think there's a better way to think beyond that. So we're going beyond like your traditional audience buckets. It's not to say that we aren't applying that, but again, like we're really thinking about like what are those external macro inputs, you know, we can incorporate into our targeting, whether it's like the VIX or stock market or like consumer pricing indexes, because that actually does weigh on customer sentiment or audience sentiment. And then how do we incorporate that into our targeting and then start thinking beyond like our traditional digital channels, um, you know, I've seen studies where like the average human being is exposed to like thousands upon thousands of ads a day. It's like in the tens of thousands, I think it's 60,000 to be exact. Yeah. And so there's a lot of noise to cut through. So if you're just doing like interstitial or display ads online, like chances are you're not going to be memorable. And there's, you know, you're, you're just flooding somebody with ads that, you know, they're probably not going to get through and you're just kind of annoying somebody. So, you know, what are those emerging channels we can mix in, whether it's video games, digital at home, which is probably 5% of programmatic spend now, but will probably account for 12% heading into next year. Um, you know, as we we're talking about peer reviews, CTV is another big one. Like how do we mix all of that in? So we're actually becoming more efficient with our targeting. Um, you know, I think something that a lot of people are forgetting right now is that rising costs everywhere means that also the cost of advertising going to rise too. So it's really going to be in everybody's best interest to be really more mindful and efficient with how you're spending your ad budgets. 
And, you know, that's going to come from more efficient planning, you know, and planning that's kind of thinking through traditional buckets and like understanding that audience ha audiences are going to have layers because they're human beings at the heart of it. And like, how do we think, you know, and how do we target against those layers? And like, because at the end of the day, what we're really trying to accomplish is creating a short term plan for success, no matter what the market cycles are in now. And then setting up our clients for like long-term growth. So like when we do hit these market cycles again, like when we might hit another recession, you know, I know there's a lot of forecasts next year when we hit this again, like our clients feel that they're prepared that no matter what cycle or what happens within the market, like they're prepared to weather that and continue like on a growth trajectory. Um, for us and then like who we're targeting, you know, we've worked with a lot of creative agencies, a lot of ad agencies in the past, I think especially with creative agencies and agencies that haven't really embraced doing digital media. I think it's a great play. Margins are high, budgets are high, and it's something that, you know, we can help them execute on and be white labeled as their own if they'd like. Moves a lot of brands too, CPG, retail. Um, we've thought about dabbling into politics too. Um, but really almost every, you know, um, you know technology, uh, restaurants, automotive, like really kind of like every vertical is where we're at. Um, you know, we understand there's other media buying planning agencies out there and a lot of them do a fantastic job. So really what we're packaging together is a different methodology, like a different way of like going about how you plan and buy media. And, you know, we just think at the end of the day that we're building a better mousetrap with the experience that we have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, valuable. Okay, let's talk about plan. Uh, you mentioned that uh, you can create a short plan, you know, how to get results. Uh, can you tell how to craft this plan, strategy, uh, and yeah. uh, and more about implementation? Because, you know, uh, I've seen uh, that uh, it's often, it's often when you create some plan, uh, content strategy, but companies are busy with many other priorities they can ignore, forget. And uh, according to a few studies, 40% of all plans are implemented and 60% just ignored or uh, because of having no time or resources. Tell about your plan why uh, and how you can tell your customer that it's important to implement. Um, yeah, just more about that. Yeah, I mean, it's really about creating like efficient funnels. And I know a lot of people use a funnel and like we think also like when we're in those funnels, we're also thinking beyond like it's those child's triangles too. Because in each part of the funnel that we all know and love, like, you know, awareness, interest, decision, action, there's these little silos triangles too that are situation, need, and um, problem. And, you know, we're just thinking beyond like, okay, as we get into these funnels, how do we drill down? Like, what are, you know, the different, you know, what are the different channels we're actually seeing performance and growth on? And then like optimizing towards those. And sometimes it's as simple as just, you know, going beyond it, as I mentioned, and I know this sounds cliche, like cookie cutter, copy and paste menu plans that you kind of set, forget, and then like you kind of dump a lot of impressions in at the end. And it's like actually paying attention to like how each segment's performing, how each channel's performing, and then having the flexibility because we're, you know, we're such a new company to go in and like optimize towards those channels because we don't have a loyalty towards one another. We just want to do what's best for our clients and like deliver on the best possible results. So, you know, it's really just, again, like in our experience, like, you know, everybody knows and is familiar and loves that sales funnel, but like thinking beyond, like, what are the little triangles that make up, you know, make up it? And then like, how do you like, you know, reduce or like scale down those triangles to like, you're really honing in on like who that core audience is and like what makes them tick and like, what are the best channels to reach them on? And like, and then like, 
how to influence that behavior to a way that like is hitting our clients benchmarks and KPIs that they've given us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And let's talk about KPIs and how to measure KPI because, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I see many different platforms, but it's estimation. Nobody knows what exactly will be, but can you tell about more accurate uh, method to predict KPI? I'm sorry, what was that again? You cut uh, out I mean, like, uh, uh, how to predict uh, uh, KPI? Uh, you mentioned about KPI, uh, how to measure what kind of results we are going to get by, uh, I don't know, like by, by implementing your uh, sales plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that also goes that back to like setting client expectations. Um, you know, we always in sales, especially, you always want to under promise and over deliver. So it's about like setting up like realistic KPIs. For us, it's like we're always thinking about what's at least the next 10 to 15% we can do better as like our floor of like how we're going to perform. And that also, you know, that requires like a lot of digging in and when we get the opportunity, like auditing what's been done in the past, where we think they went right, where we think we, they went wrong, what we can do better, and then really assessing each channel and their strengths for each part of the funnel. Um, and then depending on what are, you know, the tasks that our clients give us and what they want us to accomplish for them, that's really where we start to focus our energy and attention towards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have the question about uh, bad product. Uh, you know, marketing can't help uh, market bad product. It's impossible because you can't cheat customers. What about sales? <laughs> Do, uh, have you had this experience when companies are trying to sell low quality product? And uh, what your advice at that point, when, when you know that quality is not good compared yeah. to competitors? So, yeah, what to do? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's only so much sales and marketing can do, although one will always kind of blame the other sometimes when they really should be working together. And uh, um, But this kind of goes back to like listening to your customers, because if especially these days, if like something's wrong with your product, you're going to hear about it. And you don't want to ignore that noise. Like it's actually, and yep, sometimes customers can be mean. And we all understand that there's trolls out there and people can be really, you know, mean with their remarks. But you should also see it as maybe somebody cares. And like they're trying to tell you like what you can do better. And if you want to improve your product, like you always want to be constantly soliciting feedback from your customers. And sometimes it also, you shouldn't be incentivizing them to give you feedback as well. You know, could be something as simple as like a discount on a product. Like, hey, give us your honest feedback on something we just released and we'll give you a 5% discount on something. But I think the best way to improve a product that really isn't up to the market standard is to get feedback from your from your customers themselves and see what you can do better for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Okay, let's talk about another big issue. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's better to find the way how to figure it out. For example, you want to help company uh, to increase sales, but they uh, have some policy to uh, hide data, you know, previous data because of their policy. They don't want to share this data, but it's hard to analyze you know, what's going on uh, about customers, about the previous experience. Uh, can you tell how to improve trust between uh, company and sales department or sales people uh, when we have such issue from your experience? Yeah, I mean, that really comes down to everybody like listening to one another. And especially if and I'm assuming like you're talking about like a company internally, correct? Like when yeah. sales yeah. and say operations don't trust one another. Um, you know, unfortunately, it, that creates 
that creates a difficult circumstance and it's it's difficult for companies to survive when different departments aren't working, you know, aren't synced and working with one another in a, you know, in a really constructive way. Um, so sometimes just kind of like listening and like understanding, like maybe where the operations team or the CR, you know, the data team's coming from and where the sales team is coming from and coming to an understanding and maybe creating a test, you know, say for one month, sales team can, you know, sales leaders should be able to reach out to their data team and say, Hey, look, we're going to, I understand, you know, why you don't want to necessarily share this data. So let's run a test for one month. You provide the data that we're requesting. Then the next month you don't. And then at the end of this, let's see like what the results are. And that way, like, you know, at least the operations or the CRTM team feels like they're being heard and the sales team feels like it's being heard. And there's like internal conflicts. It's really important that both sides feel like the other side is being, you know, that their their point of view is not only being heard, but understood. And that way you can start to lower the defenses that people have. And that's really when you start to kind of come together and like learn how to cooperate with one another. So, you know, again, like you just have to learn, you just have to make the other people person feel like they're being understood and like their opinions being valued. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. Okay. Let's talk about, about another issue. Uh, very important as well. Uh, because, you know, I found a few studies and from my personal experience that most sales people uh, don't trust custom uh, marketers no distrust them uh, probably they have some reasons but uh, many marketers create a long plan strategy it takes time to create brand awareness uh, to uh, cover uh, uh, like uh, bottom of sales funnel so it doesn't sell but it will sell in the long run can you tell how to increase trust between uh, sales people and marketers, how to unite them and create one cohesive strategy. I've always looked, I love marketers. I, I think they have a, it's not an easy job. I mean, they have to condense everything a co company stands for, you know, whether it's like their philosophy and their mission statement and their value and the need that they're solving and like everything else. And they've got to condense it down into like these easily digestible like templates and PowerPoint slides, and one sheets and, branding and like everything else. So it's not an easy job. Um, you know, I think one of the best ways, and this kind of goes back to what I was just saying earlier is, you know, bring marketers on the sales calls from time to time. Like they don't necessarily have to contribute and they don't have to be there to answer questions. But I really think it's a value. I think it's a valuable learning experience if you can get a marketer in on a sales call from time to time, and they can actually hear what their, you know, how their sales team is pitching them, you know, what they have to say when competitors' names come up, and then like, you know, what's that value proposition that you know is even inspiring like customers and prospects to take that meeting. I think from there, that's really how you start to build trust, and you know, you start you start to get you know each other like working together. Um, you know, I love white papers. I love one sheets. I also think you you want to have meetings with your sales. I think it's important to have meetings with the sales teams and the marketing teams too, from time to time. Um, often I see that they're not really talking to one another. Like they might have one or two calls throughout the year. And it's kind of a, it's an interesting situation because marketers don't go on sales calls, but the sellers are in charge of like, selling and like being kind of the face of that organization. So I think if they're constantly communicating with one another, maybe setting up a quarterly call, let's say, I mean, I don't like flooding my calendar as much as the next person with internal calls, but um, you know, I think, you know, for marketers to work better with sales, 
I think you want to get them in on those calls and have them talking to one another. And then for on the flip side, I mean, it's not just on the sellers. It's not just on marketers. Like sellers need to be communicating with marketers like all constantly. Like, hey, um, this is the message we had. This message has worked in terms of like getting me a meeting. This was our value prop with this client that represented this company and sold through this problem. Like, you know, you always want to be creating a feedback loop with your marketing team too, where you're sharing like the pain points that seem to, you know, really be resonating with clients, the value proposition as well, what you've been saying and also like what the feedback has been you've been getting as well. I think if, you know, if you're creating these lines of communication, um, that's how I think you're able to sync up sales and marketing because at the end of the day, you really need both of them to be working well, well together or else, you know, companies tend to fall apart when they don't. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I agree with that. Okay. Let's talk about common mistakes. Uh, can you list mistakes that companies still do and your advice, uh, how to avoid them and uh, to find better way? Yeah, I think companies trying to like conquer the world. Um, <laughs> a lot of companies, they're kind. And again, this is going to sound really cliche, but they kind of take this jack of all, you know, jack of all trades, but master of none. And yeah. I think the best companies and the most, long, you know, the long-lasting companies, the ones that we really recognize, like they started off with like one thing they do really, really well. They find that audience and then they build from there. So it's like building those, you know, it's like creating those building blocks. And so I think it's, you know, for most companies, like, you know, don't try to bite off more than you can chew. Don't try to like take on the entire world, like find your niche. And then from there you can really start to grow and then, you know, simplify what it is that you do. You know, if you can't, if somebody can't understand within 15 seconds, let's say, you know, what you do, what you solve and why you're valuable, then you start need to start refining your message again. Yeah, awesome. awesome. Yeah. I remember when Bill Gates shared his secret uh, and uh, he told, for example, he has uh, two products, A and B. The, after uh, investing in marketing and sales, X amount of money, uh, if uh, product B sells two times more, the second time, he uh, invests zero to product A and double invest uh, to product B because uh, he knows that he can sell two times more. Very simple. But uh, uh, many companies are trying to uh, sell all products that they have. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes you don't need it. You know, 20% uh, of uh, sales can bring like 80% of revenue. It's better mm -hmm. to focus in one specific niche. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I have the question about, uh, let's imagine you started from scratch without any experience, knowledge, skills. What will you do to learn more about sales today? It's a great question. So there's just, you know, I would start reading and there's a few books that I've read and probably the two most common that have had the, the two that have had the most impact me, you know, everybody talks about, but it's really true. Um, one is how to make friends and influence people. Um, um no, like, yeah. Yeah, written almost a hundred years ago, which is hard to believe. Yeah. But like, you know, the lessons are still applicable today. So it just goes to tell you that, like, you know, those lessons have really stood the test of time. Um, and then the seven habits of highly successful people. 
Oh, yeah. I read this yeah. book. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Two classics. I mean, and there's a reason why they're classics. I mean, I think the other one was written, like the original version was written way back when, almost 70 years ago. So yeah. that's where I would, you know, those are the two books I would get started with. Like, there's a ton of sales material out there. Um, there's a ton of books like Solution Selling and, you know, and others that like have, you know, talk about like a methodology, but they kind of, you know, like they're kind of an evolution of those two books, but they kind of all talk about the same method, which is what we've been talking about, which a lot of sellers are trained on, which is like diagnose the problem, apply a solution that you have, listen to your clients, um, and then kind of rinse and repeat from there. Nice, nice. Uh, by the way, uh, I like more reading books that uh, were written like 100 years ago. I don't know why. Uh, I uh, I can't tell that modern uh, operas are bad. No way. They are great as well. But we have these awesome books, you know, with human psychology. Uh, so uh, nothing changed since this time. Uh, so you, you can learn the foundation and think how to implement. Because you can read 100 books, how to sell. You can read... Uh, listen to a hundred podcasts how to sell, but if you do nothing, <laughs> it doesn't help. You know, you, you need to get experience. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing I would do is make cold calls, cold emails, like get rejected. And it kind of mm-hmm. sounds counterintuitive. I get it. But in sales, um, it's kind of like baseball for any sports fans out there. Like, you know, if you hit 300, which is only succeeding three out of 10 times, you're in the hall of fame. And, you know, you have to build up those defenses and like that thick skin because you're going to get told no. And it's just, it's just part of the game and people aren't often going to be nice, but you also have to learn how to turn a rejection into a yes. And maybe like, if there's a re- if somebody like actually gives you a reason why not the right timing, maybe the wrong fit product, what have you, like they actually might be giving you a clue to how to sell to them. And you just need to figure out like, what's the right question to ask in that situation in order to turn this round into a positive and eventually a sale. So that's the other thing I I would tell your listeners is like, besides from reading some of those classics, like, you know, find a list, dial a hundred people, send out a hundred emails and see what happens. And just like kind of build up like that, you know, build up a thick skin because you're going to need it. Man, it's the best tip. It's the best. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, you know, uh, once I watch interesting video how to be successful on YouTube, and uh, I don't remember exactly the name of this guy, and he told one point: you need to film a hundred bad videos. Just film hundred bad videos because PewDiePie uh, couldn't get results after filming a hundred videos. He got like uh, two hundred eighty-five subscribers. After a hundred videos, today he has like uh, hundred and million subscribers. Mr. Beast filmed videos uh, more than year and half to get like uh, thousand subscribers. So these guys just film bad videos, then improved their methods, uh, got experience, uh, and after some time, when you have this experience, uh, yeah, you you can create high quality product methods, uh, and uh, it's the same with any niche. Uh, I'm not sure that Christian Arnaldo read uh, 100 books how to play soccer. He played, he, he yeah. played, he failed many times, he hit this ball like 10,000 times a day, and he got this experience. Yeah, love yeah. it, love it, yeah. I mean- Practice makes perfect. And, you know, I would say this to add on to this. Um, to me, there's like several different qualities that make up like a successful seller. Um, curiosity. 
because you want to be curious about everything to do with your prospect or your client, what makes them tick, what are their needs, what can you solve for them, how can you provide value. Um, passion. You can't sell anything you don't love or believe in. Like you have to feel passionate about like what you're trying to sell. And like, cause clients are always going to pick up on your BS. And if you don't believe in it, they're not going to believe in it. And then like, you've got problems, patience and persistence, which like, I think we were just talking about, like, you've got to be patient. It's a numbers game. It's volume. Um, you got to be persistent because you're going to get told no. Um, and then passion, patient, persistence, and you just like a drive, like an entrepreneurial drive. Cause at the end of the day, like whether you're working for yourself or you're working for a company, like it's your own book of business and you need to treat it as such, like as your own little mini company, especially if you're inside like a corporation. Yeah. So valuable. Love it. Love it. Uh, 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 thanks a lot for your time, you know, for sharing all this valuable insights. Tell our audience how they can reach out to you, learn more about you, follow you. Yes, absolutely. So um, please reach out to us at Jay Epstein, J-E-P-S-T-E-I-N at advisum.com. If you have any questions about Advisum, you know, we are a sales consulting company, but we're also, you know, as I mentioned, we're developing our own methodology for media buying and planning. Um, we can also do content marketing as well as email marketing as well. Um, we also have a newsletter, the Advisum newsletter, where we're just kind of breaking down some of the stories in the media space, you know, why it's important, how it's going to impact things for things to come. And then you can always find me on LinkedIn as well at uh, Jonathan Epstein on LinkedIn. Yeah, nice. Guys, you can find all these links in the description below. Listen us on Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks again for your time. A big pleasure. Welcome back anytime, you know, to share more valuable insights. I love it, guys. You need to follow. You need to open up site, other services, because you can see a lot of value. Okay, guys. Love you. See you. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.